Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for being here. We know many others are trickling in. Um, as they are, are emerging, but we're glad for all the earlier arrivals and we want to celebrate you and your presence and start right on time, which we're going to do because this learning could be three hours long. It's hard to condense it in just an hour. We'll, we'll plan to have a little bit of a shiur and uh, then a chance for some engagement. Of course, uh, you can always type in the chat in the meantime. And this is one of my greatest teachers and I'm one of the biggest fans in the world of Rabbi Dina Naiman, who's just uh, a huge Torah scholar and Balat Chesed and uh, amazing leader in Kla Israel. And um, we are thrilled today to be partnering with Bethel. And I'm going to pass it over to uh, my colleague, Rabbi Nitzan Stein Koken, to share uh, some, some words of introduction. Yom Atma'ut Sameach, first of all, to everyone, right? Chag Sameach. It's a uh... I think I'm, I'm so thrilled that we can partner with you, Valley Beit Midrash, and have Rabbi Naiman here to learn about Dvorah, one of those leaders who had the resilience and the courage and the strength to stay in, to fight for independence. And uh, <laughs> so on Independence Day is Yom Ha'atzma'ut. It's, it's nice, uh, no matter where we stand on the political spectrum, it's, it's nice to have this shiur of one of the, about one of the early biblical ancestral leaders in Israel. And so I wanna just give you a little bit of a background about Rabbi Naiman. Um, welcome everyone. Rabbi Dina Neiman is the Mara de Atra of, and senior rabbi of the Kehila in Riverdale. And from 2006 to 2013, she was the Mara de Atra, right? The senior rabbi at Kehilat Orach Eliezer in Manhattan, which by the way, was the first Orthodox synagogue to appoint a woman rabbi as the senior rabbi of the show. She is the head of the Gemara department of SAR Academy in Riverdale, New York. And she has extensive experience teaching and speaking in the Jewish community on topics, wide range of topics from bioethics to environmental law. She has served on the board for the Halachic Organ Donor Society for more than a decade and presently serves on the YCT and Shofa advisory boards as well. Rabbi Naiman studied at Drisha as a Drisha fellow, and then went on to study Nishmat, also one of these wonderful programs, <laughs> creating women scholars, <laughs> where she learned uh, in the Mahon Gavoa Nida for Nida learning and you must also be a yoetzid in that sense. Uh, or <laughs> um, she received her rabbinic ordination from distinguished rabbi professor Daniel Sperber, one of the visionaries, I think, in modern orthodoxy, if I can say. I, I know him myself. It's um, lots of learning. I just can feel all the Torah already descending on us. <laughs> and Rabbi Naiman earned her certification in bioethics and medical humanities 
from NYU Einstein Bioethics and Medical Humanities Certificate Program. Wow, these are complicated titles. <laughs> she compiled Jewish legal sources um, and materials for the Halachic Organ Donor Society and has developed and taught Halachic curricula for the Drisha Institute, as well as Mayanot and Saar Yeshivot. And she's the now a senior rabbinic fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem. And from all that, I can just say, we are in for a treat of learning. So welcome, and let's get started. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Nitzan Steinkoken. I'm so excited that the virtual the Valley Beit Midrash is partnering with you. Um, and I look forward to getting to know you also and your and your journey and all the wonderful ways in which you have also um, really taught Torah and journeyed. Um, and thank you for co-sponsoring with the Valley Beit Midrash. Um, I just really need to take a moment to give gratitude to Rav Shmuley, um, Rav Shmuley Yankelowitz for all the work he has put into making the Valley Beit Midrash a thriving learning program. There are countless ways that Rav Shmuley has positively impacted Torah across the globe and inspired us all to strive to live a life that is guided by ethical behavior. And I'm really glad this is um, recorded for posterity because people need to know um, how, how Rav Shmuley has really changed the landscape of how we learn and how we're, we're good human beings. Um, um, and he's a dugma ishi. He sets the example of how to live a life of Torah, good deeds and continuous intellectual growth. And I thank you for teaching us all and being such a role model for me. And I know for so many who are honored to know you. And Pam, I wanna thank you for all your organization and assistance. Um, you've done a great job and it's an honor to be learning with you all here today. And as you said, Rabbi Nitzan, as you said that today is Yom Ha'atzma'ut. And it was interesting because when we decided what the topic was gonna be, I actually, forgot that it was going to be Yom Atzmi when I, when I, when you decided that it was going to be about Deborah Hanaviyah, and I was so happy to speak about her, um, but I find it so fitting along the lines of what you said, and I'm so glad you said it, that we, last night, yesterday, we memorialize those who lost their lives in fighting for the state of Israel, and then we think about the return of the Jewish people to their homeland. 74 years ago, after 2000 years of being away, of being away from um, feeling that we really had a place in Medina Israel, a safe place for us to live. And we're going to be learning now about a biblical, a biblical personality who led her people to fight for their right to live in the land and serve God. And we'll be learning about Devorah Hanaviyah, Devorah the prophet. And she is a unique and unique type of leader. She wore many, many hats. She's described, and you're going to see this in a moment. And yes, you do have a lot of material there. Don't worry, we're not, everything's gonna be inside, but I'd like to give you something to go home with a little bit. She's described as a prophet, a judge, a warrior, a general, a poet, a mother. And as I begin my introduction to Devorah, I invite you just to take a moment 
to look over these psukim, which I, I these these verses in our text, which I hope you have. Pam said she's also going to put it in the text. So if you do not have it here, I am going to share the screen right now with you so that you see this is the text that we have. Um, and if you happen to have a biblical text with you, a Tanakh, um, you can go to Judges chapter four. And what we're going to be doing is looking at some of these very important lines in describing Devorah. Devorah, the prophet, actually appears and makes a showing in the fourth and fifth chapters of Judges. Her, the, the book of Shoftim comes after the book of Joshua, Yehoshua. So if anyone has a Tanakh there and you would like to um, look in your own Tanakh, you may do that. But in case you would like to use what I um, sent you, um, you can look, it's, it's through page two, one through two, and it's a lot of text and that's why we're not really reading it together, but, and I'm just going to pinpoint certain pieces, but if you can, if you can access it, um, I think the Valley Beit Midrash has just put it in the chat and please feel free to open it and follow along with us as, as we're going to learn. So let me invite you just for a moment to look take three minutes to just look over at least the very beginning um, and peruse through just chapter four, some very interesting aspects of her narrative. Point out, see if you can identify her as a prophet, as a judge, as a warrior, as a, as a inspirational speaker, as a leader in so many different ways. Um, and if you have a little bit more time, you can go to chapter five and you can also look to see maybe how she's looked at again as a poet or an orator, as a mother. So take a few minutes and I'll be right back. <laughs> if anyone does not have the text, I am happy um, to put it up here, either in the Hebrew or the English version. I can make it a little bit smaller if people wanna read it off their computer, that also works. So I hope that you had a, Nice, very quick read. <laughs> Sorry, it's not as beaten so much inside as maybe you would like, but maybe that's great because that'll get you to go back and look for more. But as we begin to think about um, Judges, the book of Shoftim, there is a theme that goes throughout. It's known as Hamagal Hachoser. That what happens is there seems to be a pattern that happens that the people actually are sinning, they're having a difficult time, they're being oppressed, then they repent. This is with each judge that comes. And then they go back to their own routine. It's a magal hachoser. It goes back over and over again. So when we begin with this story, we see at the very beginning of the fourth chapter that Ehud, the, the judge, has died. And the people are really in great distress. There's this um, king Yavin, who's the king of Canaan, of Canaan. And he is actually so oppressive to the people. It's almost akin, you look in a lot of the commentaries, it's akin to the way they felt when they were in Egypt. And we're going to go back to that kind of relationship that the Jewish people had with um, Yavin and his, um, and his general in a moment. But this is 
a very intense time where the people do not feel hope. They don't feel any light. They don't feel any opportunity for coming out of this oppression, mostly because it happens that Yavin has a very, very burly, difficult general by the name of Sisra. Sisra is very tough. And he's very, and it, I know we're talking about it when this Ukraine war is going on. And I, I'm sorry that I'm having to mention this because we want these tapes of these shirim to go on hopefully long, long after that is gone. But think of an oppressive regime um, with an oppressor um, and this general who just can't stop. And there is no hope for a people. Who comes on, on the scene? It's Devorah. And you see that we've been told a little bit about her. First, we know about Yavin, and we know about Sisera, and it's been happening for 20 years. And we know where they're positioned in the land. And just like, similar to, when we heard that the Jewish people cry out in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, you see, same kind of cry, Vayitz'aku b'nei Yisrael el Hashem. They're suffering, they're feeling oppressed because they're constantly, constantly coming after them. And now I want to just read this fourth chat, fourth verse. So much in this sentence. I'm actually curious. I know that to keep it moving, I'm going to keep talking and hopefully we'll have time for questions later. But if you're interested, please pop it in the chat. Look how many hats at the very beginning of knowing Devorah. There is this woman, Isha Neviah. We know she's a Navi. Eshet Lapidot. Interesting, Eshet Lapidot. Whatever that means. She's a wife of Lapidot. She's a woman of Lapidot. He shovta et Yisrael. She was one of the judges during that time. And another little aspect that I want us to focus on, hence the nice little border around your, uh, around your source material, she sat underneath this palm tree, her, her own palm tree. She had her own palm tree and she sat under it. If anyone knows like around Ramah or Beit El is maybe you know in that area of Ephraim. And the people came to her for judgment. So many different hats this person wore. She was an Aviyah. She did something as an Isha Lapidot. We have to figure that out. And she was a judge. And she sat and gave forth judgment. So, as we go along here and we see, and I, I know you read in the text, you saw what happened. You saw that she's a leader and she encouraged the people to rise up against their oppression. Barak, Barak, her general, his name means lightning. Barak, he himself needed Devorah. He wouldn't do it without her. So to some extent, you also see that she was a general. She was strategic and she helped move the people in battle to be able to defeat 
the army of Yavin. And then Sisra later on, thanks to Yael, if you got to the end of the chapter, there's a woman, Yael, who Devorah will give a great deal of credit to, who actually, with courage and heroism, will kill Sisra. And even though we can't go through this entirety of the narrative, it's my hope that we're gonna highlight some of these inspirational aspects of Devorah's leadership. So now let's first look at the fact that she's called an Ashet Lapidot. What could that mean? So I'm gonna ask you to move downward to source number, well, first before that, I'm sorry, let's first just for, for your edification, let me just make sure that you appreciate the fact that she is a prophet. She is one of the seven prophets. And I always like to teach this when we're going over Devorah because I like it to be known who these seven prophetesses were. These are women prophets um, who the Gemara, the Talmud in Megillah identified. There was Sarah Imenu, Miriam, even called a Neviah, Devorah, Hannah through her song, through Ruach HaKodesh, what she thought would be with her son, um, through Avigail. Avigail was married to David HaMelech and also saw his, um, his, his Malchut, his, his kingdom develop. And then you have Hulda. Hulda was a Navi during the time of Yirmiyahu Hanavi. And Yirmiyahu actually was known as the tough guy given the bad news. Hulda they like to go to for good news and what we see is in Yirmiyahu, they go to her, to Hulda, and she also unfortunately delivers the bad news about the Beit HaMikdash. But she's an important, about the Beit HaMikdash being destroyed. But she's also a very, very strong figure as a Navi. And then we have Esther. Esther, who had a vision, right, what she could do um, for her people, right? Fast for me, and I'm gonna, and, and let's, you know, uh, let's, Let's do the best we can and let's make sure that we can um, have our people survive. And most of these people have something to do with the continuity of the Jewish people. And the next source, which I'm not gonna do inside for time purposes, but I also think that it's an important thing to mention, certainly because of the title that I gave you of this talk, which is namely that, that a lot of these um, 48 prophets who, who were men and seven prophetesses who prophesied. The Gemara and Megillah make a point, and I think this is very important to say, that these people um, were not just um, were not just randomly chosen. These prophets were prophets who did something for the future of the people. There was an eternal message, and the Gemara says that you could, there could have been many, 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 many prophets and true prophets. The, the prophets that are recorded throughout all of the Bible, throughout the Torah, throughout Nevi'im prophets and Ketuvim and writings, those people, there was something, there was some kind of message which the later generations will learn from. And so the Gemara tells us there could have been other prophets, but these have an important message. And so it's really important that we study what their message is for us today. What was also critical is something about Devorah as a prophet, how she judged and prophesied was not necessarily because she was a Jew 
man or woman. A person is chosen for their skill, not their gender, not their social um, placement in, in society. And I really like when we're able to look at a rabbinic text, Ishalom's text of Eliyahu Rabbah, and just take a moment to look to see what are we saying about Devorah Isha Neviyah So I want to read the text with you in a for a moment. It says, the significance for telling us that Deborah judged Israel and prophesied was because of what she was able to accomplish. They say, and later on in this text, it says, whether someone is a man or a woman, a male slave, a female slave, all according to the merit of their deeds, it should have said deeds. So the Ruach HaKodesh, God's, uh, God's Shechina, God's spirit rests on them. Meaning there are a lot of people who say, how can a woman be a Nevi'ah? How can a woman have this status? I'm talking specifically about Devorah because there have been interesting statements that sometimes go in the literature. And I just wanna make sure that this is clear to you. That Devorah was worthy because God deemed her worthy. And because she is a person who merited that. Now we'll get to her title. So Rav David Kimchi, the Radak, in his, um, in his commentary on, 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 the, on the Navi says, what does it mean that she was Eshet Lapidot? Who are Lapidot? So there are many ways I would love for you to put it in the chat. If I was able to see you in a room and we'd be talking about this right now, I would ask you, what does Eshet Lapidot mean? What could it mean? So one thing that it could mean is that Eshet Lapidot is a person who's married to Lapidot, right? Or it could mean that this person is connected to what their task is that they do. So one explanation that the Radak says, he actually gives us both. He says, that Lapidot, Eshet Lapidot means, she was married to Lapidot. Who is Lapidot? He's Barak, the son of Avinom. Where did I get that? Because Barak means lightning. So because it's a fire, she's married to her general sidekick, Barak. And so Lapidot and torches are close in meeting, Lapidesh, right? They're close in meaning. So she was married to Barak. But some say that Eshet Mapidot is really talking about her task. Like when you ever sing Eshet Chayel, or you think about what that means to be a person of strength, that's really descriptive of who she was. And instead, this was her job, Eshet Lapidot, because she made wicks for the sanctuary, for the Mishkan. So these wicks, which cause light, that was her task, that was her job. And just a side point, that when you talk about someone um, as an ish or an isha in the Torah, in the Navi, in the Ketuvim, 
often that means that this is someone who's of great importance, right? Like when you talk about root, right? And, and there was a, a man who left, right? So that was a very important person. Ish, Ish here, Isha here could be a person of great importance. So now I'd like to kind of carry on with some of this theme, some you will see that if you look at source eight, which we're not gonna do inside, but some will actually go with the theme that she was actually married to Lapidote and say, for example, the Yalkut Shimoni, which is a, which is a Midrashic text on Tanakh. And here says that there were three names, Barak, Michael, or Lapidote. There were three names for this person and they go with that same thing. But what is interesting here is that she took care to, she, she made the wicks and she brought them to the Mishkan and she's married to this guy whose name of Barak. But then again, the Midrash does similar to what we saw in Radak that Devorah had intention to increase light. She made the wicks. She's married to a guy who means light, but she made the wicks. So they merge these two ideas into one. And what was so beautiful is because it says, Devorah, at nit kavenet laharbot ori. You wanted to give light. What does light mean? Light is hope, light is possibility with all the darkness that they're having with Yavin. So you, you, af ani erbeh, or Chab Yehuda Yerushalayim. I'm going to have you make those wicks, the physical light, right? We know in Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah was not only about lighting that menorah, which was actually not even pure to be lit at that time, but it actually gave hope to the people. When they see those lights on the menorah coalescing, El Mulpane, right? It moved together. What that meant for the people was, wow, there's some kind of inspiration and warmth and light and hope. So that was very critical. Um, and here when we were talking about Eshet Chayol, just to kind of bring home that point again, she was like she was a woman of valor or she was diligent in her ways. Here you see also that is she's being described as the way in which she made the light, that she wasn't married to Barak, but Mitzudat David um, actually points out that that's the kind of person she was. And we're gonna go back to the next part about he shavta in a moment, the way in which she was a prophet. But I want you to see that the way in which they appreciate that she was an ancient lapidot is that she was actually quick as a fire torch. We said that she was a judge and she was a leader. Sometimes it's descriptive Eshet Chayel. It's not what she did, it's, the, it's a character trait and like a fire burns and it set energizes. So too, she energized to people. And I'm going to skip the next one because um, it's clear that we know that she's a prophet. The Raal Bag talks about that she achieved a certain level of prophecy, like who? Well, this is actually very beautiful um, that the prophecy that she had um, was actually something and I, I I think it was cut off a little bit here, but in the Hebrew I have that 
שהייתה מגעת לה הנבואה כמו שספרה התורה במשה רבינו עליו השלום. Do you remember what Moshe Rabbeinu looked like when he came down our Sinai? How did he look? He was like inflamed. He was glowing. He had like light around. And that is the image that the Ralbag wants to give us. This idea, um, Gershonides gives us this idea of what does it mean to be a person who's illuminated? Um, and that's her, that was her prophecy. Now we say this about, I want you to remember that Devorah, this is not the first time our rabbis make a very important comparison of Devorah with Moshe. There are probably gonna be ways that we're not even gonna mention today that you are going to see that she is often compared to Moshe Rabbi. Okay, so now I wanna look at her as a judge for a moment. It says, and that should have said, and she judged, not he judged, because it's he, Shaftat. She judged. Why? She was a prophet, and she was diligent in her ways. She earned the status of being judge of Israel because she was a person who was diligent. This speaks a great deal about her character. Um, something that we look for, I would say, in a judge. Um, not only someone who was, you know, had that inspiration from God. There are prophets who have inspiration from God. Look, you can look at someone like Yonah. Yonah certainly did not want to do so much that he was told to do. But as soon as she got a message from God, boom, she was out there and she was taking care of it. So that was a certain trait that that Devorah had that we thought was, that I think is something very um, necessary. Now judges, when you think about judges, what do you think about a judge needs to be? Maybe just for a moment in the chat, tell me, and we're gonna just shout them out from what people write. Can you tell me what is a good trait of a judge? Fair, great. Some other ones, looking for them. Fair, what else? You want a judge to be fair, that's for sure. So it seems like fair to have a vision. Honest, thank you. So these, yeah, honest is coming through, excellent. Seeing the larger picture, amazing. Wise. Wise. Nonpartisan. Incorruptible, thank you for that one. Impartial, yes, thank you. Because we're gonna see something about Devorah right now, which speaks to her skill, why she is a role model as a judge. Believe me, nowadays we could really use judges like these. Um, should I talk about it? Okay, I'm not even going there. Okay, so let's talk about what it means, um, what it means um, to be, a judge and mentioned some of these character traits that you mentioned. Well, it says in the Gemara, you know, these little palm trees, right? So she sat there. So the Gemara wants to know, who cares? Well, what's different with regard to where she sat? She sat on the palm tree, yeah. 
Now I mentioned this because I'd like to mention this because I think this is something very important about a judge and about, I would say, any leader. There's a question when, if someone sits in a palm tree, a palm tree is open on top. It's not hidden, you can't be hidden. in it. It's a tall trunk and then the branches go flat down, but they don't go lower. So everything is open on all sides. Divorce sat out in the open. I think many of our leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, teachers, educators, can learn a great deal about what it means to be very careful, not only for political reasons, but to not have any unnecessary, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the optics need to be good. The optics need to be that there's nothing corrupt going on, nothing tawdry going on, that for the most part, this person is who they are and all their activity is out for everyone to see. There's complete transparency. And the fact that she sat Tachatomer, that's something that we can, and that she doesn't seclude herself with anyone else. That is a very important message for anyone to learn, irrespective of gender, I would say. This is a beautiful idea. This is a side thing, not necessarily about the character traits of a judge, but where she brought them to. Um, and maybe this is something that a judge should do, but I would say any leader does, that when you bring someone, what does the Tamar represent? The Tamar has one trunk. It doesn't actually have branches, it only has leaves, right? So what she does, so the Jewish people, like it's kind of emblematic of the, of the heart. So the way the Gemara is describing it, that she brought people in to make the Jewish people unified, to have one heart, and also to redirect to God, to see the possibility in their lives. And so maybe through her judgment, but she was able to unify a people when they are so broken. Another important aspect is So the Mitsudat David says, a commentary on Shoftim says, they came to her, to that designated place under a palm tree. Why is that so important? That she had a place people knew where to come, where to come to her. She was known, her place was known. She had an address and she was the person, everyone came there. It wasn't just women, it wasn't just men, it wasn't just, everyone knew how to get to her. And she was a person for the people. And I don't wanna keep on doing this, but I still again want this in the back of your head. Moshe also was like that. People kept on coming to him. They knew where he was. So she was that figure for them. Here is something that I think you mentioned about what it means to be a judge. And the Targum Yonatan, the, uh, on the text of Shoftim, on the text of Judges, said, Devorah yashva be'ir ba'atarot. Devorah hit parnasa mishalah. 
Hayala de Kalim Biricho, Pardesim Barama, Zetima Usim Shemen Bibigat Beit Shakai, the Beit El, Admalavana Betur Malka. Devora lived in Atarot. It says to us, hear this Targum, this is an explanation of the text. There it says she was independently wealthy. She owned palm trees in Yericho. She owned orchids in Ramah. She owned all oil producing olives in Beitel and white ground in Turmalka. Why do I care that she was wealthy if she's a judge? Why do I care? Maybe chat me for a moment. Why is it so important? What? That's it. Thank you, Lauren. A judge cannot be bribed. A judge cannot be bribed if they have money, if they have their independent wealth. She has her own standing. And when you have that, it really gives you a certain strength to be yourself, to be nonpartisan, as people said, and to be the influencer. And by the way, Wendy Rozov, that was a beautiful idea of the palm tree that has roots and extends far beyond their leaf pattern. It could be a symbol for influence in the community being far reaching. You can only do that when you are your own person. And that is a beautiful idea. Yes, yes, Rabbi Nitzan, also that the palm trees are a symbol of life which nourishes water in a de uh, desert. Beautiful, thank you, that is just amazing. I appreciate it. So hopefully so far, what do we see? She's an exceptional prophet. She's a judge. Let's look at her for a little bit as a, as a poet or an order. Now, who else was a poet? Who else sang a song? Who else sang? Who sang the way she sang? The way she sang was Ashira Lashem Ki Oga, right? She herself, and she does bring Boaz along it, Vatashir Devora. U Barak, right? The two of them did sing it together, but then it's about Shira Lashem, just like Moshe. She says, let's gather everyone together. We were victorious. We now have, and she knows. Why is Shira so important? Shira is, why do we sing for those people who sing Hallel and Yom Atzma'ut and they understand why does some, why did Rob Goran say you have to sing? You have to sing Hallel. And maybe people don't feel this way, but just like the Gemara says in Psachim, page 117a, when talking about Pesach night, why we're singing with Yitziat Mitzrayim, it's a different kind of Hallel than when you're singing during the day of Pesach. The night Hallel is a song of, of being saved, of survival, and of thanksgiving first and foremost to God. Who sings Shira? Moshe Rabbeinu sings Shira. Miriam sings Shira, but Moshe's Shira and Devorah's Shira are similar. Devorah's Shira, like Moshe's Shira, I will sing and I will bring them back. It's really about their perspective as a leader. Miriam, who is a leader too, she's all about the people. So she brings them out with her. So it's more of a collective voice. It's in the plural. But Devorah sings on behalf of the people. And she tells them in her beautiful song what it means that God saved us. 
and it is reminiscent of Moshe Rabbeinu. And later on, you see like the Mechilta, which is the Midrash Halacha on, on Shemot, when talking about where does this appear? It appears in Parsha Peshalach during the Shira. And right there, our rabbis, our Tanayim in the Mechilta, tell us that Moshe, David, Devorah, Sha'amru Shira Veshirat, Aleham, Ruach HaKodesh, that the spirit rested on them. But when did they do it? They did it when we were saved. David saying when we were saved from military. Who did not sing who got into trouble a little bit? Anyone know? A little bit of uh, trivia for anyone? Anyone know who didn't sing? And uh, Chazal said he could have been Mashiach. He could have been the Messiah. Well, Saul actually does sing. Good try though, Saul does sing. He does sing. He gives Hakara Tatov. He gets into other kind of trouble. That's, that's a good try, yeah. So King Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Chizkiyahu HaMelech, Hezekiah the king, he was one of the greatest kings. Came from parents who were no good nicks, children who were no good. It was unfortunate, he had like such, but he himself was great. He was the one who took out the Torah scrolls. He was the one who really transformed the people. And there was so much to him and he won a victory and he forgot to sing. And when he forgot to sing, unfortunately the Navi, the prophet at the time had to come to him and deliver the news that he wasn't, his dynasty is gonna unfortunately not do so well after him. He does do repentance, he does do tshuva and he gets 11 more years. But we learned something very important. You don't party first you thank first. You say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we appreciate everything that you've done for us, all that you've given us. And Devorah knew to do that. Devorah did that like Moshe did, David did, and many after, and we hopefully learn to do, that we have a place. And so that's something that we appreciate. But also within her Shira which I think is a generosity of spirit. And if you get a chance to look over chapter five, you're gonna see that Devorah Hanaviyah does something very special. She thanks Yael, she credits Yael because she says, it wasn't from me and it wasn't from Barak that we really had the ultimate save. It was Yael's courage. And to be able to give Hakaratatov also to those people who are courageous. And she could have said, look, it was my leadership. Look, everything I did. But she said, no, Yael, you did wonderful. And I think that that is something that we can really appreciate about her. Finally, I wanna look at Devorah as a parent. Do we see that she's a parent? Do we know that she was really even married if Eshat Lapidot really means a character uh, description? Do we really know if she had any kids? But what is she called? She says in her own description, Ad Shakamti Devorah Shakamti Amy Israel. She's talking about herself. Some say she's a little not so humble like she should be when she said that Shem Tzvakot, she used certain words. But I would like to say she's doing something that who Moshe Rabbeinu also spoke about himself as a mother of Israel. What does a mother do? I wrote parent, 
because I think that there are a lot of parents who are not just <laughs> women, but men also. You support, you give hope. Thank you, Wendy. You nurture, you nurture. She ostensibly gave the people the impetus to come out of the darkness and move themselves forward to actually victory. And not all the tribes came initially, by the way, you should know. But when she did, what ended up happening was a strength of a people. So much so, it's as if she gave birth to them. I look at the Malbim at the very end, your last source. Shakamti Aimbi Israel, when she said that, it says, Yamlitz ki ilu kfar nishvat Yisrael, miyot am, vatanol du mechadash, vihiya aim hayoledet et hagoi kula. As if Israel stopped being a nation and now they're reborn. And she was the mother giving birth to the entire nation. With that, you think about it like this. Devorah, whether she was a mother or not, like with Moshe Rabbeinu, he spoke about it when B'nai Israel started to cry about not having meat, or we want to go back to Israel, we want to go back to Mitzrayim, please take us back there. And what does Moshe say to God? How long can I nurse these people? I, I carried them, I gave birth to them. I, I, you know, it's enough. He uses phrases like a mother carrying and taking and schlepping them around. She saw herself like that as well. She was the unified voice. She was the person who was able to really move a people. By the way, her mom is from Ukraine. I just want to hope for that. Um, but what does she do? Very much like Moshe Rabbeinu, Devorah appreciates herself as a person who really cared about her flock, who wanted them to have success and have hope. And at the end of chapter five, I gave that to you right up above. At the end of chapter five, it says something, even half a pasuk at the end of the Shira. It says, shana. The land had rest 40 years. So 40 years, also similar to Moshe Rabbeinu, let me say that was her leadership, 40 years. Like Moses carried the people for 40 years. But very important is that she was a person who gave them rest, who gave them a respite from the darkness and the oppression. And on this day of Yom mood, I have to say, we think about Devorah as our leader, not through her gender, not seeing what's possible of a person. And we offer the hope and prayer, by the way, when we read the words, Vatishkot Haaretz Arbaim Shanar, that the land and the people within it had peace and rest as well. All the people who are living in that land had rest. There wasn't battle, there wasn't strife, and they were able to live with that shlemut, with that completion. We need leadership nowadays, like Devorah, of course we need that. But what do we need it about them? We need their strength, we need their honesty, we need their integrity, we need their talents. We also need, let's be honest, a community of people 
who can see beyond a stereotypical model of leadership and recognize that within 100% of a population, there could be so many different ways to contribute to society that could truly transform it. This was one fiery person who saw a people who were almost gone, no hope, with one cry out. She responded, she listened to the voice of God, and she herself energized, encouraged, and succeeded to bring a people to peace. Let's hope for that kind of leadership in our world. And with that, I wanna hope for peace in Israel, peace in the world. And hopefully we ask God for the wisdom in our leadership to be fair, honest, good, and uniting. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Rabbi Nyron. This is so incredible. Amen, amen. Wow. Okay, friends, let's open up the floor for some questions here. We have about 10 minutes left together. We'd love to hear any questions folks have. Feel free to unmute yourselves. I have a question. So I still am struck by the fact that Deborah's a woman and she has this amazing um, tenure and these amazing talents. And when you put her against every single other judge in Shoftim, from the beginning to the end, she stands miles apart from them. She okay. is, as you said, the, the exemplar of leadership. And I'm still struck. I know your, your talk had something to do with irregardless or regardless of gender. Irrespective of gender. Yes. But I'm still, I can't, I can't, I can't move away from that fact that she was so outstanding. She is a female role model. Do you have any comments? I think that that's wonderful that she was female, but like I look at Miriam, who was also someone who our rabbis teach us is someone who really generated hope for the people um, in the time that they were in Egypt, um, that she really gave hope to families continuing on. Um, you can have different models of leadership with different personalities. It just so happens, I would say, because of the way the which, in which society worked, it was quite unusual for someone to have such wisdom. I didn't even give you all the texts where they speak about Devorah as someone who was a chachmania, darshanit. She was someone who rendered decisions. No one bats an eye and no one has a problem. And you know what? I'm going to share something else because of your comment, which Wendy, I really loved a lot of your comments. I want you to look at this picture. Anyone ever hear of Ghost of Dory? Ghost of Dory was a very well-known artist. And here you can look to see he didn't have all the rabbinic um, texts um, at his fingertips. He did have the, all he had was the biblical text. And look what he has. He has men standing around. You see, maybe she was a person of wealth because she has a lot of jewelry there. Or you see that light for Lapidote. 
and you see the way she's pointing upward, maybe because she's a believer in God, but the people are hanging out. That doesn't look like a palm tree, by the way. It looks more like a, some kind of statuesque thing. But what I love about this piece is that you have someone of strength. And yes, I think that our world, not only in the Jewish world, not only in the Western world, I think in general, we need to look at men and women or any person as a person who can carry us. And what I love about Devorah is her wisdom and her strength and her similarity to Moshe. I don't know two more similar biblical characters than Moshe and Devorah. Some people argue Moshe and Eliyahu Hanavi, right? But I see the two of them, the way the text brings them together, they are so similar. And it doesn't phase me that one's a woman or one's a man. They're unique individuals. Moshe fetches and whines and cries even more than Devorah does. You have rabbinic leaders like Rabbi Meir and Bruria who are married to each other. And Rabbi Meir seems to be more of the emotional one, right? We stereotype people and you wonder, but what I love about it is that all the people knew to come to her. She was someone for everyone. And if we could just look beyond people's gender, if we could just look to see what someone can contribute to the world and not get caught up in those, uh, you know, things that either were taught or this uncomfortable kind of state of being, then I think um, we would benefit so much more in this world and have some really phenomenal leadership. Beautiful. I see Lori's, we have a hand up from Lori. Lori, is that intentional? If you want to unmute yourself. Yes. Great. Yes, that is an intentional hand up. Okay. Oh, no, no, <laughs> you are. Hi. Hi. Yeah, Hi no, I was just going to piggyback on that and saying that not only um, does the biblical text not have any issue with, with uh, Dvorah's gender, they don't have any issue with Huldah's gender either. But exactly. the rabbis do. Exactly. The rabbis do. The rabbis make really mean-spirited comments about both of their names. I don't remember the source off the top of my rabbi. head. Something right. about a bee and a yeah. and a yes. mouse yes. or yes. a you yes. know some yes. nasty yes. stuff like that. And the midrash has to justify how you know they could have taken Deuteronomy to Hulda, you know, and not to Jeremiah, the book that they found, which we'll say is Deuteronomy for lack of a you know, but she, she certifies that it's, she certifies that it's revelation. I mean, and that's also a pet peeve of mine that hardly anybody's ever heard of Halda. I got this oh, from yeah. one of my teachers that um, on a certain day in Navi class, she would, some former student made her a Halda t-shirt. And so every year on a certain day for Navi class, she would wear her Halda t-shirt and we'd have Halda day. Oh, I want to get you um, one of those. I like that. Yeah, I want to. I want to create a kids' profits curriculum that actually talks about Holda in it. Yeah, you know? well, we mention it. We mention it in our curriculum. People know they're in the Viot. So yes, yes, good. Right. Good. Um, she in, get, in look, which curriculum? She doesn't is that? get that much time in Tanakh, but she should get. But she should get a lot of learning. Um, but I, yes. I will say, along the lines of those names of Devorah. Um, and you're right, you're right, there's, uh, and by the way, it's not only women, there are men who also their names are kind of um, made fun of in different ways, but you're right. Um, but something also that I didn't mention, and you're mentioning this, Lori, once, I, I think I want to say that Devorah's name comes from the word Diber, like Diber Hashem, Devorah, and like her speech, and, and that's also 
Like when you think about Moshe, there's a difference there, right? There's a difference. Moshe had a very difficult time of speaking, but he overcomes it. You know that Devorah is speaking and her action is on, uh, like, you know, you can talk about it as a bee, you can talk about it in other ways, but ultimately it comes from the word speech and how she's heard, right? Her call, right? You talk about Koalisha, right? Her call is a necessary call for the world. And she's doing it and it's from God, it's B'Shem Hashem. So that's very powerful to me too. Like if you really look at her name. Beautiful, Beautiful. who else has a question? Thank you so much. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Nyman. Uh, you've left us all speechless. Just great Torah, <laughs> great Torah. And Torah we need on Yom HaSma'ut, Torah we need every day of the week. Um, so thank you for this beautiful learning. And thank you all for joining us. And thank you, Rabbi Nitzan and Wendy and everyone from Bethel for your partnership. And uh, may we continue to learn Torah in good health and strength um, uh, and, uh, and enjoy together. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. It's been a real zuchut. Thank you. That was a wonderful talk. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.